all creation. As we look ahead to another year, we look above to you. Your grace is enough. Your mercy is new every morning. And your power is made perfect in our weakness. This year we have faced many trials. We have fought many battles. We have learned many lessons. And we have prayed many prayers. But this is our hope in life and in death. You are the God who sees. You are the God who knows. You are the God who cares. And you are the God who loves. And so we pray for courage to face our giants. We pray for grace to cover our guilt. We pray for strength to overcome our challenges. We pray for joy in all circumstances. And we pray for vision to see what you see. face this year but we do know this it will never be faced alone amen it will never be faced alone I got a little sentimental over the last week or so we've been going through a room throwing some stuff away sorting through books sorting through pictures and things and course with Christmas come new Christmas gifts um, and sometimes the way we roll is to you know it's it's things that we need not not things just you know for the gift sake and uh, I had to say goodbye to something um, <clears throat> I'm gonna put it up on the small screens here I didn't get it to Roy in time um, You know, I think we all probably have things that just give us comfort. You know, it's always there. It's always there when we need it. And, and this pair of Sorrells I bought in 1986 <laughs> when I went to Laramie for my first year of school. And um, last winter, they started to leak. And this winter, I decided... You know, the problem is I'm never going to find another pair that good or like that. And, and I have things in my life that, that, that occurs with those things. I've, I've owned a couple cars that I'm afraid to get another one because this one has just been so good. It's just on its last legs, but it's just been so faithful and so good. And, and it's always been there for me. Well, that pair of boots is, is one of those things that has always been there for me, and I, I took a picture and shared it with my siblings, and <clears throat> my brother said, you should have them bronzed and put them on the shelf, and <clears throat> I'd take a lot of bronze. 
Uh, I, my wife did get me a new pair of, of boots for, for Christmas, and I'm sure they'll be fine. Um, and, and I'm very thankful for them, but they're... 1986, that was a long time. Um, so, so I want to ask you, as we start this morning, how did that, was that an age joke that I just heard over here? The boots? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I can only hope that I last that long as those boots did, right? Um, so I, I want to ask, in general, for everybody here and who's listening, how did ringing in the new year go for, for you? How, how was it? I've, I've certainly had better. Um, hopefully, I got my bout of COVID over for 2024, and I won't have to worry about that again until 2025. It seems to be about the same time of year, not every year. But um, and, and I want to thank, I don't know if he's in here, but I want to thank Nathan uh, for stepping out of his comfort zone last week and, and speaking to Big Kids Church, to you all up here, to, to stepping out of his comfort zone for the very, very first time. I, th I think he did a great job. And, uh, you know, it's going to be as important as ever in the year 2024 that we all work at the roles and gifts that God has given us as the body of Christ, as Nathan talked about last week. Ears, eyes, hands, and feet. It, it takes all parts doesn't it? And, and when one part is kind of struggling, uh, it's good that those other parts are healthy and ready to step in for, for that one part that is suffering. Everyone is an important part of the body of Christ, and together, together we are the church. Um, so how was, how was your year? Uh, in, in the final days of 2023, did you, did, did you do some reflecting on that year? Did you sit and spend some time thinking about the things that you learned and what God did in your life and how he was there? I saw quite a few posts on Facebook where people were saying to 2023, don't let the door hit you in the butt on your way out. Um, 2023 was a struggle. Uh, some people had a rough year. Some people couldn't win for losing, it seemed. At least that is what it felt like. Uh, there were many losses in families. Some lost great-grandparents. Some lost grandparents. Some lost parents. Some moms and dads lost children in the last year. Some children lost siblings. There were likely businesses lost, and maybe someone listening today filed for bankruptcy in 2023. Um, maybe you took out that sheet of goals that you wrote down at the end of 2022, and you went through that and, and said, wow, you know, I... Uh, I made those goals at the end of 2022 and 2023 was going to be the best year yet. And maybe it did and maybe it didn't turn out to be that way. Uh, what are you feeling this morning? Are you feeling accomplished? Are you feeling proud? Are you feeling guilty? Are you feeling like you've fallen short? And I wonder how many listening today are in a way dreading the new year. Um, another year, really. Um, you just can't imagine your life getting any better, which often happens with, with discouragement and, and to an extreme depression. You're, you're in that and, and you just can't see outside of that. That is the only thing in that moment that you can see. Many made resolutions for 2024, um, and thoughtfully so. So don't 
get me wrong here. I love goal setting, but at what point, and this is what I want us to think about this morning, at what point do our resolutions become yet another standard to measure up to, but this time self-imposed? I'm self-imposing something on myself that probably is, is in an area where I feel like I'm lacking or where I fall short. That's generally when, where we make resolutions or we set goals. How, how many of our resolutions truly come from within? How, how many times do we sit down and, and prayerfully ask God, our sovereign creator, Lord, what, what do you have for me in the year 2024? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to be? Or do those resolutions come from what we think we should be as a man or a woman? How we should look, what we should earn, what we should achieve, what we should do, and where we should go. Maybe you're still working on those resolutions for this year and you're still writing them down. Or if you already have, you may want to reconsider some of them starting today. Because I want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself this question. Who do I, who, who do I want to be in the year 2024? Who do I want to be? Because even more powerful than setting goals is living with a proper vision. And that proper vision has to be, first and foremost, of who, who we are. Who we are. Vision provides direction and focus and energy and the endurance to stay the course, even, even in the face of loss and tragedy and difficulty and change. It aligns your choices and your resources with your true values and your purpose, a purpose that comes from without you, not from within. And most importantly, a healthy vision comes from the voice of God speaking into your heart and soul and reminding you of who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ. I, I want to challenge all of us as we head into this new year to, to see our own lives, who we are with 20 vision. I mean, 2020 vision is good vision. Uh, I want you to seek to see who you are with 20 vision and to catch a vision, to look, to see with 24 vision. It's actually 25, but I didn't want to wait a full year to preach this message. 24 vision to see Jesus Christ. To see Jesus Christ. Because even in the year, even if the year 2024 doesn't offer the changes in your situation and circumstances that you hope and pray for, even if in our journey through the next year we face hurdles and circumstances and unforeseen challenges, the fact that our sovereign creator and savior never changes and never will is a comfort and should be. A comfort to us. He is our rock. He is our everything. And it is in him that we live and breathe and move and find our what? Our being. That's Acts chapter 17, verse 28. It's your memory verse for this week. For in him, Paul says, we live and move and have our being. 
as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. What a great description. So as we head off into a new year and uh, with 2024 vision, let's, number one, let's look to Jesus. Let's look to Jesus. Jesus must be our vision. Jesus is the one to whom we cling to with 2024 vision. In a relationship with Jesus is where we find the true who that we are. You know, in our relationships with others, whether that be a, a, a husband or a wife or, or between a parent and a child, um, other people are often sometimes sometimes correctly and sometimes incorrectly, mirrors into our own life. You know, they, they, they see things and they can tell us things and they reflect them back to us. And sometimes we're not so receptive of the truth that they're reflecting into our own life, which is why we often don't like to look into mirrors because that's the true us. That is, that is me. Um, that is why I think filters are just terrible. You know, I see a picture of somebody online and I'm like, is that the real person or not? Because that looks a little bit different than a little bit different than I remember that I saw them last time. And 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 you know, back in the old days they used to touch up pictures. Well, now, you know, it's not, even, it's not even you. You can make yourself into a cartoon. You can make yourself into whatever. And, and you know, it's all fun. But, but let's not hide behind those things. Let's, let's really be who we are to each other and to our God. So we need to look to Jesus. And here's one reason why. Because he created all things, and that includes you. He created you, no doubt in my mind. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 1. We're going to spend some time in the first six chapters, actually, of John, so you'll want to keep it open. But John chapter 1 is the one, uh, is the one, one through four are the verses that, that give weight to that statement. He created Jesus, specifically created all things, and that includes you. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and that's Jesus it's speaking of, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning, in our beginning. When we were created, Jesus was God. He was with God. God, through him, through him, who? Jesus. All things were made. All things. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. I just, I, it just takes me back to the Garden of Eden when God himself breathed life into Adam. We have the very breath of God. In us. The Word is Jesus. He has always been and always will be. Of course, not always in the form of the incarnate man, but ever existent, and all things were made through him. Nothing was made that was made was made without him. 
You know, I love that commercial. I don't even remember what they're advertising. It might be a bank or something, but it, it starts out with the planet Earth, and, and I, I just can imagine people that believe other things, but it, there, there's this planet Earth, and it says every person who ever lived has lived here. And I think, yes, and God put them there. In fact, God put that blueberry in the middle of space. Um, he created it. He created all things, and that includes you. He also, we need to look to Jesus because he fashioned you. This is different. He intentionally put certain things together to make you, you. Jesus did. Fashioned, formed. Another way to think about it is he crafted you. He crafted you. He knit you. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For you, King David said, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And this doesn't apply just to King David. This applies to all of us. I praise you, David says, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That was God. That was Jesus. Who fearfully made you. He made you wonderful. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He created you. He fashioned you. And he did those things by making you in his own image. We need to look to Jesus because he made you in his image. And it's in looking at his image that we learn, can learn some things about our own image, about who we are. What, what does this really mean? God himself tells us that that is how we are made in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And having the image or likeness of God means in the simplest terms that we were made to resemble him. Okay, we were made to resemble God. However, that doesn't mean physically because we're told that God is spiritual. Jesus himself in John chapter 4 verse 24 says that God is spirit. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth, Jesus says in John chapter 4. And, and I was going to try and cram this idea, this God being created in God's image into the, into the message this morning. And I just thought, man, that is, that is such a weighty topic. Uh, we're going to talk about that next week. So when you come next week, when you listen next week, when you watch online next week, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be created in the image of God. And we're going to unpack that a lot, a lot more. in the image of Jesus, in the image of the Holy Spirit. But think about that. The creator of the universe, he spoke all things, all things. Nothing has been made that he didn't make. Nothing. And, and we struggle with how big that is. 
I mean, sometimes we get into big situations and we think that's overwhelming. Uh, how could anything be even bigger? Well, I have a video here that kind of goes, um, go, goes through things. And, and it starts out with, with, I don't know, Louise and her smiling face. And then it's just going to continue to pan out and pan out and pan out. Um, God created everything, humans, animals. He created land. He created the seas. He created the skies and the clouds. He created the planets. Our planet Earth, which seems pretty big, though not relatively speaking, um, even in our own little cul-de-sac that is our solar system, which, you know, when, when we were growing up and going to school, we thought, that's the universe, right? We thought, at least I did, I thought our solar system, that was it. Yeah, no, um, it, it's not. God made planets, lots of them, millions of them, stars, galaxies, suns, black holes. God created it all. Now we're 10,000 light years away from the earth, 100,000 light years away from the earth. I mean, I don't even really have a framework that can even conceive that. There's, there's our, our galaxy, the, the Milky Way, 10, 100 million light years. And, and who knows, a billion light years, who knows what's even beyond all of this. Maybe that's what it looks like. You know, he made your physical makeup. He made you look like what you look like. He gave you the parts that he gave you, which, which is nothing short of unbelievable. He gave you, he gave you your, he gave you your eyes, uh, which are amazing things. Some of you know your eye more intimately than others. You've had things wrong with them. You've had things done with them. He made your brain, your heart, your blood cells, your white and red cells, and so on. DNA pretty much blows my mind. I mean, I, you know, you think about the conception of a child, one cell, then two, then four, then it, it turns into a human being. I don't mean turns into, it starts as one, but, but it, it it forms, and, and it's just an amazing thing to me. See, Jesus created you. He, he created you thoughtfully and carefully and intentionally. He made you in his likeness. He, how, so how do you look at things? Do you look at things intellectually or scientifically, emotionally or abstractly? Jesus made you that way. What about your heart? Are you deeply, a deeply empathetic person? Do you, do you find that people say that you are a great friend and support? Does the, the brokenness and waywardness of our, peop, of our world break your heart? Jesus made you that way. Are you athletic and good at sports or things that require physicality? Are you not so much? But, but better at leading people or helping people or seeing, helping them see things about themselves. Or maybe you're a fantastic public speaker. Jesus made you that way. 
Are you tall, short, blonde, red hair? You know, science says we get that all from our parents, not all of it. I've seen redheads that maybe shouldn't be. I've seen blondes. Hairy arms or not. Somebody's Bible is reading to them. Jesus made you that way. Are there, and there is only one way and no better to learn about how you've been created than to be in relationship with the one who created you. No better way. No better way than to question and listen to the one who created you. Now, Adam and Eve were created perfect. But we all know that that is not the reality of humanity today. We live in a broken world. Without Jesus in our lives, we are in a depraved state, destined to hell and eternal separation from God. We all suffer from a disease of pandemic proportions. No one is, no one, no one is exempt but one to the disease of sin, missing the mark of obedience and faithfulness to our all, everything, sovereign God. Ah, I wish it was easier. I wish I was perfect. I wish I didn't struggle with being faithful and obedient and trust. But we all do. And the good news is that Jesus reached into our world as our savior and as our rescuer. And when Jesus redeems each individual who puts their trust and belief in him, he begins to restore that original, that original image that God created in the beginning. He begins to transform us into a new creation. And that redemption is only available by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as our savior from the sin that separates us from God through Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 explains it this way, for it is by grace you have been saved. And, and grace is... Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something that we do deserve. And we do deserve hell, but God in his grace and his mercy didn't, doesn't give us that when we are in relationship with him. It gives us eternal life. So we need to look to Jesus because... He created all things. That includes you. He fashioned you. Oh, isn't it cool to think about God working? I know some of you don't like it. You wish you had more hair on your head or, or whatever. You know, somebody pointed out to me the other day that I'm getting a little thin, actually a bald spot back here. You know what? I, I see commercials for hair-growing things, and I'm like, why would anybody waste their money on that? I mean, I, maybe you did. <laughs> but my wife has never said, oh, I don't love you as much because you have less hair today. <laughs> and of course, I, I don't, much to her chagrin, I don't look in the mirror that often because I just don't care. <laughs> you know, don't smell. That should be enough for people. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, my hair is a little disheveled. Yeah, my pants might be wrinkled or whatever. That's not me anyway. That's not who I really am. He fashioned you and he made you in his image. Number two, in your notes this morning, look to Jesus. Yeah, there's an echo in here. That's the point this morning. In the year 2024, we need to look to Jesus because that is the key to the new year. Uh, We look to Jesus because he sacrificed himself for us. No greater love than what? Than someone lying their life down for someone else. Jesus did that for you and for me. The perfect giving up his life for the imperfect. The pure giving up for the impure. That is why he was born into our world. Emmanuel, God with us. Mary, Joseph, you're to name him Jesus, and they did. You shepherds, you'll find him lying in a manger wrapped in cloths, and they did. And to all, he is Christ the King, and he will save the world. And his death on the cross and subsequent resurrection is the very act that made our salvation, that made our reconciliation with an all-powerful and all-perfect God possible. With 2024 vision, look to Jesus because he sacrificed himself for you. The enemy, the enemy, oh, the enemy tries to convince us that there are other options. Other options to provide significance and vision for our lives. Other ways that we can get to heaven. You just got to be good enough or you got to be, you know, the first whatever in some number, 144,000 or whatever. Or, or you just have to make sure that you're a member of this church. That is, that is not what Jesus said. Or maybe it's money and power and politics and and, or people, and, and love, love, that should be, that is the most important thing. And entertainment. But everything under the sun, everything under the sun will always, always, always come up empty. It will always come up empty. We, we can even struggle with surrendering to the word of God for many reasons. We think it's too hard. We don't like what it says. We want what we want. And it, and it says that I can't have that. So I'm just going to put that aside. I'm going to continue to say that I, you know, for the most part, live my life by the scripture, but, but I really don't. We want to justify all kinds of behaviors and attitudes that God's word teaches against, but we can't. That is, this is, this is the bar. This is truth. And everything that we know and that we trust and that we believe must, must follow this. You know, that, that's what happened to many people who called themselves disciples during Jesus' ministry. I mean, there, he, was, he had so many disciples. You know, we, we kind of think that he only had 12, but there were people that were considered disciples that were following him. That, that was the whole, that's the whole description of the word disciple is following. And, and they, were, they were following him by the droves. But turns out they were only jump on the bandwagon fans. And when their team stopped winning or producing, they were out. The 12 disciples that Jesus chose, however, they were all in. 
They left everything. They dropped everything to follow Jesus. They walked away from their lives to follow Jesus. They were in, and and our attitude and response needs to be the same as theirs, because he is the Messiah, and where else can we turn? Where where else can we turn? Feeling discouraged, where, where else? Where else can you, can you turn? Filled with grief, where else can you turn? Brokenhearted, where else can you turn? Filled with overwhelming gratitude and thanks, where else can you turn? There isn't anywhere else for us to turn. Jesus is the only one who offers living water. Jesus is the only one who gives us the hope of heaven. Jesus is the only true light of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Let's look at the details that surround all those disciples walking away. Jesus was teaching. Jesus was teaching. Turn to to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And I want to read verses 53 through 58. Don't believe I've ever taught on this passage in John 6, 53 to 58, this is Jesus speaking, and this is what he says. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, And I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Stop. It was hearing these words that many of Jesus' followers and disciples were like, whoa, I'm checking out of here. No, this dude is, he has lost his mind. What is he talking about? Verse verse 60, they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And many of them actually stopped following him that day, we're told in verse 66. I mean, Jesus gives a graphic imagery about eating his flesh and drinking his, his blood, and it is indeed puzzling when you first hear, those, hear that. If you've never read that passage before, or you've never heard it spoken, which is how they were hearing it for the first time, Jesus is speaking these words. You're like, what? Context will help us understand what he is saying. And we need to consider everything that Jesus said and did in John chapter 6. And and if we do, the meaning of his words become clearer. So earlier in the chapter, Jesus feeds the 5,000. In verses 1 through 6, we we hear the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then the next day, this, this multitude of people that he just fed, they continue to follow him. I mean, they, they actually tried to get away from them, but they, they followed them, and they, why? They're looking for another meal. Who wouldn't? I mean, this is like, 
Long John's, I was going to say Chick-fil-A, but it was fish. Long John Silver's on steroids. Just out of, the, out of nowhere, Jesus is feeding all of these people miraculously. They're looking for another meal, and Jesus points out their short-sightedness. It, it was the same misunderstanding with the woman at the well. When Jesus said, I will give you living water, and it is a water you'll never thirst again. And she is, what, immediately thinking of the physical. Well, who wouldn't want that? I'd never have to make the long walk to the well and, you know, pull the water out and, and drink it, etc., etc., etc. These crowds were only seeking physical bread. Jesus knew that. But there was something more important, and Jesus points it out in verse 27. He says, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. It's not my physical flesh. It's not my physical blood that I'm talking about. We're talking about, this is an illustration for, a spirit, for the spiritual realm. This is a spiritual concept. This is a spiritual idea. And at this point, Jesus attempts to turn their perspective away from physical sustenance to their true need, our true need, a Savior true bread for true life. Not just bread that will make us hungry in a couple hours. Filled us for a moment. Our true need is spiritual. This, this contrast between physical food and spiritual food sets the stage for Jesus' statement that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. Jesus explains that it is not physical bread that the world needs, but spiritual bread. And three times, Jesus identifies himself as that spiritual bread in verse 35, verse 41, and verse 51. And twice, he emphasizes faith, a spiritual action as the key to salvation. In verse 40, he says, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and will raise him up at the last day. And then in verse 47, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. Jesus is our bread of life. Everlasting life. And then he compares and contrasts himself to the manna that Israel had eaten in the time of Moses. Verse 49, your, your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. Physical, that didn't work out so well for them. I mean, it, it, they end up dying. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. He's not talking about physical bread. Like manna, Jesus came down from heaven, and like manna, Jesus gives life. Unlike manna, the life Jesus gives lasts for eternity. In this way, Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. God is so good at illustrating for us, isn't he? Every time I read that, he is greater than Moses, I'm reminded of the sign of Jonah, which we just studied through. Three days and three nights. That's the sign that, that God gave Israel. The sign of Jonah. No other, he said. That's enough. Jesus is greater than Moses, and Jesus is greater 
than Jonah. And having established his metaphor and the fact that he is talking about faith in him, that is when Jesus presses the symbolism even further in in that 51 through 56, which we already read. And Jesus specifies in verse 63 that he has been speaking metaphorically. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit. And what? (laughs) And they are life. And those who misunderstood Jesus and were offended by his talking about eating flesh and drinking his blood were stuck in a physical mindset, ignoring the things of the spirit. They were concerned with getting another physical meal. So Jesus uses the realm of the physical to teach a vital spiritual truth. Those who couldn't make the jump from the physical to the spiritual turned their backs on Jesus and they walked away. So with 2024 vision this year, may we not turn our backs, but instead look to Jesus. Look to Jesus because he sacrificed himself for you. Honestly, where else? Where else would we turn? At the Last Supper, Jesus gives a similar message. It, 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 it blows my mind, and, and I hope equally yours, that through the course of history of the planet, the planet, God does things intentionally and specifically. And now in the year 2024, which I thought was, you know, back in the 20th century, you know, thought was, that, that's like, you know, Star Trek days. You know, in 1986, I'm like, that's all, that's all superstition. People are, people are not going to be able to, you know, see the other person that they're talking to. And we're in it. But all along, Brandon said to me this morning, isn't it amazing that you got sick the weekend that we already had the service planned with the youth? You know, God does that stuff every day. Every day. Every day he's working in the details. And as he went through the course of history, trying and and working his way to the event that would reconcile humanity with him, He's dropping breadcrumbs and signs and indications and prophecies and those are fulfilled and we look back and, 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 and we see Noah's Ark and how God preserved them and saved them and we look at Jonah and we, I mean, they're all over the place. All over the place. The Last Supper, Jesus gives a similar message to, to the one that he gave in John chapter 6, Really? I mean, he may have been preparing his disciples for that moment. They gather to break bread and drink the cup. And in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to use Paul's description. 1 Corinthians 11:26 says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are remembering, you, you are you are. Uh, acknowledging the significance of what Jesus did and the faith that you have put on that act. Jesus, the bread of life, the one who shed his perfect blood, all of it, on your behalf. 
when we partake this morning, that's what we are proclaiming. This ordinance of communion Jesus gave us, gave his followers, he said, repeat it as often as you choose, but when you do, you are to remember. You are to celebrate and you are to worship the biggest universe-changing event to ever happen. Jesus' death and resurrection. And the worship team is going to stay out there. We're going to do this in, in reverent silence and quiet this morning and worship. And as the basket comes by, if you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, or maybe you're just like, you're just feeling like you're not in a place where you should partake. Because Paul says, do not partake in an unworthy manner. Just let the basket, just pass it right on by. Don't feel bad. Just, I, you know, if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ yet and you're here, man, praise Jesus that you're here. That you continue to investigate and seek him. And once you do receive the bread, and we're going to pass out the bread first, hold on to it. Hold on to it and we're going to partake of the bread together uh, just as Jesus' death and resurrection was for all. So let's have the servers and Brandon is going to come up and pass the elements to the servers.
1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. His body, the bread, let's eat. And then Jesus took one of the cups and he introduced its symbolism. In fact, he changed it up. This is a new covenant, he said. This is a new covenant. It's based on faith in the shed blood of Christ to take away sin. No repeated sacrifices or any other kind of work would be necessary anymore. Because Jesus is the holy lamb of God, his one-time sacrifice is sufficient to atone for the sins of all who believe in him. So we partake of Jesus by coming to him in faith, by trusting in that shed blood and broken body, and that it's sufficient to pay for our sins. In verse 25, Paul says, in the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The cup, his blood. And after you've you've received the cup, after the servers pass them out, I want you to worship and remember Jesus' sacrifice. I want you to thank him. I want you to honor him in quiet prayer. And when you are ready, I want you to partake of the cup Just as Jesus died for all and as we partook of the bread all together, it is individually that we surrender our lives to him. And so we will partake of the cup individually this morning. Let's pass out the elements.